authority. What, what is it? What is it? I mean, we understand examples of authority. We have parents and we have teachers and we have police officers. We have God. Examples of authority. In fact, Jesus said right before he ascended, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not some authority, all authority. So we have examples of authority, but what really is the biblical understanding of authority? Well, J.I. Packer defined the word excusia, which is the Greek word for authority. We get our word executive from that word. Think of the executive branch who executes the laws, power to execute the law. The word excusia meaning rightful, actual, and unimpeded power to act or to possess, control, use, or dispose of something or somebody. The authority to direct my life, God has. That authority to dispose of me as he wills, to use me as he chooses. The uniform biblical conviction is that the only rightful power within creation is ultimately the creator's. All authority comes from him. He delegates it down to others, but it originates in him. He is the authority. He has the power, the ability. Nothing can impede his desires or his wishes or his wills to do what he will with his creation. He has that kind of authority. In fact, in Romans 13, 1, we see this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. Again, what's this telling us? The source of all authority is God. God has the right to act as he will because he is only good. For there is no authority except from God and that those that exist have been instituted by God. God is the source of all authority. Flows down from him. Such authority as men have is delegated to them by God. God delegates parents, God-approved authority. God delegates to teachers, God-approved authority. God delegates to the state, God-approved authority to carry out what God wills for the family, for the school, for the state. And they have to answer for that. When he delegates authority to somebody, they have to answer for that. In John 19, when Jesus is talking to Pilate, we see this. Jesus answered him, Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has a greater sin. So Pilate has to answer for that authority that has been given to him. So all authority originates from God. He delegates it down to those God-approved authorities that interact in this world. Because all authority is ultimately from God, submission to authority in the realms of life is then a religious duty because all authority comes from God. God-approved authority. It's part of our service to God. But here's the problem with you and me. Here's the problem. By nature, we don't like authority because we're rebels at heart. We don't want someone to tell us what to do, to, in, to, 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 to have control over me. If you've been around long enough, you know I'm a recovering control freak. And some would say not so recovering at times. <laughs> and I always say when somebody tries to control me is don't control the controller because we don't like to be controlled. We don't like authority. We're going to start a new series through the book of Luke, looking at the life of our Savior Jesus. Not necessarily what he said, that's important. But I want us to see how did he interact in this world as he walked in this world. He is the perfect son. 
He is the perfect human. Now, it's an ideal that we're shooting for. None of us are going to reach this in this life, but that's the ideal we're looking for. To walk like our, our Savior walked, to, to behave like He behaved, to think as far as we can know how He thought in a certain circumstance. So as we go through the book of Luke, we want to see these things that talk about who Jesus was, His character. Paul tells us in Romans this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. If you're a believer, God's will is for you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is God's will for you. And the whole sanctification process that happens throughout our whole entire life is this whole process of God conforming us into the image of his son. That's what God desires for us to look like his son as he walked the perfect human, the perfect son that walked on the face of this earth. We're looking at the ideal. None of us can perfectly carry it out, but the ideal is what we're looking for. So how did Jesus relate to authority? Uh, What did it look like? What can we learn from him? How did he interact in this realm of authority? Here in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 starts off, of course, with the birth announcement of Jesus. He's born in Bethlehem. The angels come. I mean, excuse me. The angels come and announce to the shepherds. The shepherds come and visit him. On the the eighth day after his birth, they take him to the temple. He is circumcised and given the name Jesus, just as the angel said prior to him being conceived. Then they go away and they come back 33 days later or on the 41st day, they come back and offer the offer of purification for a woman who gives birth. It was 40 days for a male, 80 days for a female. They were to come to the temple and then offer up a, a purification. That took place at the beginning and the middle part of chapter 2 where Simeon and Anna see Jesus in the temple. So after the purification process, they go home. He's, a, he's 41 days old at this time. So we don't know what happened between 41 days and 12 years because we're introduced to him now at age 12 here in the temple. So it's hidden. We don't know. There's been some spurious writings about things that the child Jesus did. Don't trust them. They're not scripture. We don't know what happened. But here we see, when we submit to heavenly authority first, we will, be, we will more easily submit to God-approved earthly authority. There is an order here. And Jesus is going to show us the order. So first, what I, need, I think I, I need to get it out of the way. When I'm talking about submitting to authority, I'm speaking of God-approved authority. For example, uh, your boss is a God-approved authority. But if your boss tells you to lie to get a contract, you cannot lie because that is not approved by God to lie. So even though he may be or she may be a God-approved authority, the action that they're asking you to do is not God-approved. We never submit to evil. We resist evil. We never submit to evil. We resist evil. So how well then do we, as the people of God, submit to God-approved authority? That which, is, that which is asking us to do the right things. And then the question was, what happens if a God-approved authority asks us to do a wrong thing? How do we respond to that? It's this concept of authority. Now, it's likely, as we talked about before, that, that Luke interviewed Mary probably at Ephesus where she lived with John, interviewed Mary and has this information. So we have the information directly from Mary herself, Luke through the author and inspired by the Spirit, has a record of what took place right here. So look with me in verses 41. So we've been away from Jerusalem for nearly 12 years. 
Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. So it sets the, st- it sets the scene of what's going on here. We're given an insight into Joseph and Mary's life as faithful servants of God. Every year they went up to the, to the temple for Passover. Every year. It was required for all Jewish males to go up, but Mary goes herself. She's going beyond what the law even asked of her. She wants to be part of the Passover ceremony. So she's there in Jerusalem during this Passover. So from the text, we see that Joseph and Mary went every year to the temple for Passover. For all of you grammar geeks, it's called an imperfect verb, which means a continuing action in the past. So when it says they went, it means they went all the time to the temple. Every year for Passover, they went. Now, we are told here Jesus is 12 when he comes. I don't know if he came before. Typically at 11 or 12, you would go to the temple to learn about the Passover because at age 13 is bar mitzvah. You become a son of the commandment, a son of the law, a son of the covenant. So 11 and 12, they typically went up. I'm thinking, I don't know, speculation. I think Jesus probably went up as often as his parents would allow him to go. He wanted to be in Jerusalem at Passover time. And Passover is interesting because Passover is a time that talks about, celebrates God's deliverance from Egyptian bondage. So it's, it's interesting that we here first see this, the, the boy Jesus at 12 in, in the temple during a Passover time that speaks of God's deliverance of his people. The greatest deliverer of people is there in the temple right now. Jesus, the greatest deliverer of all people. So after the seven-day feast, Joseph and Mary begin to return home. Now, I'm sure that there's a large caravan of people that are traveling back to Nazareth. They don't travel singly. There's no car to drive. There's no train to get on and no airplane to fly. So they're traveling in large group for protection and for company. So they form the caravans and they begin to move back home. And I'm sure that all the people that were part of the caravan knew the correct time to meet when they were going to leave the city. Well, Jesus doesn't go with them. How could they have misplaced Jesus? I mean, seriously, how could you? I mean, you parents, you know what it's like when five seconds you turn around in a store and you can't find your kid and he's behind a a, a mannequin or he's behind a bunch of clothes. (gasps) Oh, your heart feels, you know what I'm talking about? How could you misplace your son, Jesus? They, They seem like negligent parents. Well, here's the thing. In caravans, the women and the children went ahead And the men and the younger men followed behind. So each one of them thought Jesus was with the other. They didn't purposely leave him in Jerusalem. They just thought he was with the other group. They didn't know that he he remained behind. Could you, I mean, Jerusalem is a big city. I mean, even in Medical Lake, it'd be hard to find a young 12-year-old boy is just in your mind, wandering around. But Jerusalem's a huge city. How are they ever going to find this young boy in this large city? So they're in great distress at this point. You can imagine, parents, you've lost a child. You're in great distress at this point. Look at verses 46. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. 
And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Or the house is the idea of a household, his business, the affairs of my father, what my father desires in this world, my father's house. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. They're confused. They still really don't know. Even though the angel told her exactly who the son's going to be, they're still amazed at some of his actions. So they lose Jesus, and Joseph and Mary go back to the last place they saw Jesus. That's good advice for us too. When you start feeling distant from God, when you start feeling like somewhere he's been lost, go back to the last place you saw him and find him again. Good advice. So they find him. They go looking for him. And after three days, likely they didn't travel three days in Jerusalem looking for him. They went one day out, realized he was gone, one day back, and one day searching in Jerusalem, therefore three days. So they didn't search for him three days in Jerusalem. It's a total of three days. So he's sitting there listening to the teachers and asking them questions. J.W. Doe suggests their amazement of these people listening to him must relate to his deducing things from Scripture which they had never found before. So he's asking them questions. He wasn't really in a teaching role. He was, he was questioning. But even in the questioning, there can be a teaching process in that. So he's asking them questions, and they're going, wow, I mean, how does a 12-year-old boy know stuff like this? This is amazing. The text doesn't say he was teaching. He, he may have been teaching by simply asking questions, but the text said he was more of a listener and a questioner. So Jesus was taking on the role of a student with the religious leaders. He was submitting to them as religious leaders. Do you remember what he said to his disciples later on in his ministry? He told them, those who sit on Moses' seat, do what they tell you to do, but don't do what they do. Because they were telling people to do the right thing, but they themselves weren't doing the right thing. So he said, listen, those who sit on Moses' seat, you do what they tell you to do, but not what they do. So he submitted to them as, as a student in this case. He's both listening and questioning. And Mary and Joseph are amazed I guess they still didn't understand who he was. They still didn't grasp who this child was. And it caused them pain and suffering for losing him. See, Joseph and Mary had left without Jesus. We have to, we have to, get, we have to settle it. He did not run away from them. That would have been disobedience. He is the perfect son. He is the perfect human. He would never disobey his parents in a God-approved authority. He would never run away from them. He would never do that. Now, I don't know. Scripture doesn't say. I'm only thinking out loud and trying to reconcile how this would have happened. And a question I asked myself while I was studying this, could it be that the Heavenly Father asked him to stay in Jerusalem? Possibly. I mean, I don't know. I can't confirm it 100%. It doesn't say that. But I know that Jesus would never disobey his parents. He would never run away from his parents. He would always honor and obey them. So something must have happened to cause him to stay in Jerusalem. Possibly the father asked him to stay. And then Jesus is surprised. He's thinking, I mean, I don't know how to say it nicely. It's like, 
why wouldn't you have looked first in the temple? I mean, that's where I'm at. That's where I would be at. I mean, why didn't that click first in your head? Why did you spend a whole day walking around Jerusalem when you should have just gone to the one place you knew I was going to be? Didn't you grasp that? So he gently informs her that his first loyalty was to his heavenly father, to submit to him. That's his first loyalty. The wisdom is great. The questions were great. That's not really what's so important in this text. What's important in this text is that Jesus says, my father. Jews don't talk like that about God. They may say our father. They would never say my father. That's, that's unusual. But he says it's my father. So at the age of 12, Jesus knew who he is and what his mission is at the age of 12. He knew he was a son of God. He knew he was in communion with the father. Mary mentions Joseph. Remember he said, she said, your father and I were looking for you. And I could see kind of Jesus responding back, yeah, but my father wasn't looking for me. He was right here in the temple with me the whole time and I was with him. My father wasn't looking for me. He knew exactly where I was at. Mary says, your father. And Jesus says, no, no, my father knew exactly where I was at, here in the temple. He didn't miss me at all. These are the first words of Jesus that he speaks. Red letter in your red letter Bibles. So Jesus confirms to us and to all his divine sonship and his mission to do the Father's will. I'm about my Father's business, in my Father's house, managing his affairs, doing what he asks me to do. All of these different ways we can describe this in my Father's house, about my Father's business, submitting to the will of my Father and the mission of my Father in this world. I'm here. And submitting to the Father means fulfilling His calling as Messiah. He came to save us from our sins. And all who will believe will have eternal life with Him forever. He came to proclaim the Father, to glorify the Father's name, to reveal the Father to us. We read about Him in the Old Testament, but we really didn't know His heart well until the Son came to reveal the Father to us, that we would know the Father to be about his business of, of revealing the Father. Remember what Jesus said actually further on where Darren read today and, and John 14, if you go on a little bit further. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? It is the Son's desire to reveal the Father to the world. To, 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 to make him known, uh, John 1.18, to exegete him to the world, to make him seen, that people would know the Father through the Son. And it's in like, like Jesus, it is our business to reveal the Father in this world. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Your life, your words that people see and hear reveal the Father to them. Did you ever, did you ever think about that? Like Jesus, our job is to reveal the Father to the world. And how do we do that? We do that by living kingdom ethics in our home, in our workplace, in the public square. We, we forgive when offended. We ask for forgiveness when offending. We encourage, we love, we strengthen. We do all those things that the kingdom ethics talks about. And we reveal the Father that He comes, that He has come to change us. We speak of His truth to others. We speak about origins, creation. We speak about human sexuality. We speak about truth. We tell them about the salvation. We reveal the Father, just like the Son did. We reveal the Father in this world. And Jesus' first loyalty was to his heavenly Father. First, 
But what was the centerpiece of his life? What made him tick? What was so important to Jesus? Jesus' entire life was centered around the will of the Father to submit to what the Father is asking him to do, even if it's death on the cross. Remember that in the garden? May this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. His desire is to do the will of the Father, even when, it's, even when the cross is before him. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. His energy, his nutrients, what he, what he lived for was to, to show the Father to the world, to do what he asked him to do. So his first loyalty is to his heavenly Father. Obedience to his heavenly Father takes precedence over his obedience to his earthly parents. Again, Jesus would never disobey his parents. Never unless they ask him to do something contrary to the law of God, then he would be first loyal to his heavenly father. He would never disobey them. When we submit to the heavenly authority first, God, we will more easily submit to God-approved earthly authorities when we get the order correct. We submit first to the ultimate authority, God. Next, it's easier to submit to these God-approved earthly authorities because we understand where all authority comes from. And all authority delegated is going to be held accountable when they stand before God. So Jesus' submission to the heavenly father did not override his duty to his earthly parents, but it flowed out of his submission to his heavenly father. Now, what was he like? What, was, what, what, what happened to him when he went back home? Look at verse number 51. And he went down, Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them the creator of the universe. We are told that the son of God, the word of God created all things. The creator of the universe submitted himself to earthly parents. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So what was he like at home? Luke mentions his perfect humanity. He submitted to his parents. His God approved authority over him, his parents. He submitted to them. It means to, to be subject to, to obey, to be obedient, to be under the authority, to place yourself under the authority. He placed himself under the authority of earthly parents. It's, it's, a, it's the same word that's used in Luke 3.18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So Jesus acknowledges Joseph and Mary's God-given authority over him. The greater submits to the lesser. The greater submits to the lesser. See, humility is the foundation of all submission. Humility is the foundation of all submission. You will not submit if you are proud. You will retain that. You will not submit. The rebellious human heart wants no rivals for authority and resists them with everything in them. But here we have the creator of the universe submitting himself to earthly parents, to earthly authority. Yes, God approved, God ordained through the parents, but the greater submits to the lesser. Submission is a divine thing. Submission to the heavenly father, father results in submission to Mary and Joseph. See, one flows out of the other. When we get this one right, it's easier to submit to earthly authorities that are God approved. So first submitted to the heavenly father, he's about his father's business. Second submitted to others, showing honor and authority to his parents. Now, from this time forth, Joseph disappears from the scene. We don't hear anything more about him. He dies. 
Jesus comes on the scene again at age 30. So 18 years in between. Sometime he dies in between there. But at the last, verse number 52, we see that Jesus grew as a human being in a balanced way. 100% God, 100% human. He grew as a human being in a balanced way. He grew both physically, intellectually, spiritually, and socially. You want to check out how balanced your life is? Those are the four areas you can look at how well you're balanced in your life. He grew in all, he had a balanced life. He grew in all of these things. The first thing we learn is Jesus' response to authority. I am not a prophet. I do not know what's going to happen in 2024, but I can read, I can see what's happening around us in the world, and I'm saying that 2024 is going to be a bumpy year. And we are going to be questioned in this area of authority. The issue of authority is going to come up in 2024. How are we going to respond to it? I have said recently, and you've heard me over and over again, saying the darkness is growing in our nation and in our world. You only have to turn on the television for a short period of time and watch any kind of newscast. You'll see the darkness seems to be growing darker and darker, and it seems that it wants to exert more and more authority over the world. In the book, The Fellowship of the Ring, J.R.R. Tolkien, there's an interaction between Frodo and Gandalf. It says, the shadow takes another shape and grows again. I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And already, Frodo, our time is beginning to look black. The enemy is fast becoming very strong. Now, I've used the phrase over and over again. The darkness is growing. The darkness is growing. The darkness is growing. Perhaps there's a better way of saying it. Perhaps there's a more biblical way of saying it. God is granting authority to the darkness like he's never done before. What? What do you mean? Uh, uh, Giving authority to evil? Here's an example out of the revelation. I am not saying we're in the tribulation period. This takes place in the tribulation period. But I want you to see Revelation 13, 7. Also it, that was the beast, was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. Where does all authority come from? God. He is allowing evil to become stronger. He's giving it more authority in this world. So you and I are going to be confronted in 2024. Evil is going to say, obey me. And we're going to have to say, no, my first loyalty is to the heavenly father. I cannot obey you. I must resist evil. I cannot submit to evil. It's a question of heavenly authority versus earthly authority. So here's my question to us. To whom will we submit to in 2024? There are national and international authorities that will demand our submission in 2024. Whether it's the UN, the WEF, World Health Organization, or other internationals, or even our own corrupt government is going to demand from us submission and loyalty in 2024 that some of it we cannot give them. We cannot give them. We never submit to evil. Yes, the authority, the state is a God-approved authority, but when the state begins thinking they're God, that is no longer approved. They will demand your submission and they will punish you if you do not. Think gene therapy shots and masks. 
Not all authorities in our world are exercising God-approved authority. Some believe their authority because they've rejected God themselves. Remember, by nature, we don't like authority as human beings because we're rebels at heart. So the question is, to whom will we be loyal first? Jesus gave us that answer. We are always loyal first to our Heavenly Father and His authority. Always. And then all of those God-approved authorities as He's established in this world, as long as they're not telling us to violate His law or His word, we submit to them as well. But I'm thinking in 2024, it may get a little rough for us because they're going to start demanding things from us that you, you and I cannot give them. We cannot give them. We cannot give them our loyalty if they're asking us to do something wrong. We cannot. Loyalty has consequences. Loyalty has consequences. Are we willing to pay the consequences to be loyal to our Heavenly Father first in all things? Because there are consequences for loyalty. Our priorities are submit to the heavenly authority of God. And when we submit to him, we will be able to easily recognize whether the God-approved authorities in this world are misbehaving in the right of exercising authority. We'll see it. We'll be able to discern it. We'll be able to recognize, no, my heavenly father says this, and you're asking me to do, I cannot do that. And loyalty has consequences. So I'm praying that we have the courage and the strength to say yes to God first. Yes to those God-approved authorities that are doing the right thing. Yes, we submit to them readily. But those authorities that begin demanding our allegiance above God, we cannot submit to. We must resist evil in all of its forms. This this idea of authority is very serious. We don't want to misabuse it because God told us to be submissive to the the God-approved authorities. We have to be very careful here. We don't just say no because we don't like it. We have to make sure that they are violating God's word or God's command before we even say, no, I cannot do that. Not just because I don't like it. Authority is a serious thing. And we're going to be challenged in 2024 how we react to the authorities in this world (coughs) and how we respond to them. To him first and then to them. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that Jesus' faithfulness was to you. It is evident that he was in the temple He was with you in the temple. He was interacting with the religious leaders and and, and showing them things that they never saw before. They didn't even know these things. So Father, I thank you that he gave us the example of what it means to submit, submit to you, to authority, to true authority. In whatever form it takes here on this earth, God approved people or institutions that have granted your authority, Father. We will submit to them readily. No questions asked. Only when they begin to ask us to be disloyal to you, we cannot do that, Father. So we ask for strength and courage to know the difference between the two and the courage and strength to stand and do the right thing. And that is to be submissive to you first and resist evil in this world. And I know, I know you will reward us even though there will be consequences. So we thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.